Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 853 with Crimsy Lilith. Uh, I didn't realize that one of the things that gave me the most joy was connecting individually with customers and employees and creating the space that I could also be a part of. So when when it began to grow, I realized that I was taking the joy out of it for myself. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Pop Menu gives restaurant owners the tools they need to transform their online presence, simplify their ordering and delivery, and take control of their marketing. Pop Menu will build your restaurant a website that is designed to engage guests, showcase your menu with featured photos and reviews, and allow you to ditch those boring PDFs. But Pop Menu is so much more than an online menu. Each Pop Menu site is built with in-house delivery options to open up more revenue streams and to meet guests where they want to eat. And you can easily set up curbside pickup and contactless ordering. And Pop Menu's remarketing tools enable you to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. Trust me, with Pop Menu, you will take your restaurant to the next level. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month Plus, lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. One more time, popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Nowadays, people don't want to speak face-to-face. They rather communicate via text message and keep it anonymous. Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is convenient to you. And I think the most valuable aspect of Talk to the Manager is that you give people an opportunity to vent before they go public and write a negative review. Sometimes people just want to be heard and talk to the manager gives them that opportunity to be heard. Plus, you don't have to worry about your information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the phone number that talk to the manager provides. Also, with talk to the manager, it's like having a secret shopper. People will tell you any issues they come across at your restaurants, whether you want to hear them or not, but they'll be brought to your attention and that will help you improve your business. Show your guests you care enough to listen with talk to the manager. Head to talk to the manager com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60 day trial. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant on Unstoppable listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. What's up, Unstoppables? Today, we're talking to Crimsy Lilith. So Crimsy was actually episode 705. Uh, one of my last recordings before the pandemic hit hard and we all had a lockdown 
and she's the founder of Crimsy's Cajun Kitchen. And in March of 2020, when I was out in Los Angeles, uh, she was just about to open her second location and, and Cajun's or Crimsy's Cajun Kitchen was operating in the black and it looked like she was on the path to do some really great things. The pandemic changed a lot of that for her. Uh, so today, um, what we're doing. So basically she reached out to me, a, a, I think about a month ago and she said, Hey Eric, I'd love to come back on the show uh, to discuss this topic of when, you know, it's time to close your restaurant. And I think that's such a great conversation to have. Uh, we also talk a little bit about why she decided to get off social media, which is also a very personal conversation for me right now. Cause I, I took a break from Instagram and Facebook as well because We'll, we'll save that for the recording. I don't know. Just the, the, the timing seemed really right. I really enjoyed my conversation with Crimsy back in March of 2020. And I knew this would be a great conversation. And I really do think that, you know, it, I have a, a certain responsibility to be brutally honest with my listeners, uh, people who are maybe in the process of, of planning their restaurant who want to open or people who are in the industry in they know they could be doing better. So they're listening for inspiration and guidance on how to do better. Uh, this industry is not for everybody and that's okay. And I think there's a lot of pride in this industry. And I think that our pride gets us in trouble. And I really just wanted to have a really open, authentic, real conversation today uh, with Crimsy who closed her restaurants and got out of the industry during the pandemic. And she explains why, um, you know, it's, it's almost like a, it's almost like an obligation. I feel like I have to try to talk people out of this because of how challenging this industry truly is. And I'm not trying to be negative or discouraging. I just want to be real. You know, um, my mission statement is to inspire, empower and transform the industry. And I kind of think this falls underneath the realm of empowerment, uh, giving you guys the, the real life perspectives of people who've done this to empower you to make the right decision to see if this is right for you or not. Uh, so, oh, I do want to mention that to prepare for this conversation, I actually gave Crimsy some homework and she handled it like a champion. We read the book finish big by Bo Burlingham. And the whole idea of this book is how to, uh, start a business and create an exit strategy and have an, an exit strategy for many people who get into the restaurant industry. Their exit strategy is death. And that's not a good strategy. <laughs> so uh, I kind of figured if I gave her this homework, we could have the same language and we might be able to add a little bit more value. Uh, so with that said, I think I've queued up this episode. Well, with no further ado, here she is. Crimsy Lilith. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest back on the show for a second time. Crimsy Lilith. Crimsy, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am, although I have no idea where I'm going, but you can't stop me. Who does? I think we all <laughs> kind of fake it till we make it um, or just fake. We, we, I think a lot of us, some of us do have direction, but for the most part, we, we've always, we've all been there where we're like, what's next, right? Yeah. So the last time, actually, before I kind of set up the listeners to kind of discuss what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, why don't we get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra? What do you got for us? Uh, I would just like to remind everyone that we're all going to die. Why is that? Why? Uh, why is that your mantra? Why is that what you want to echo today? Uh, well, personally, it just reminds me that like whatever I'm feeling scared of or like potentially, um, 
you know, like, oh, God, am I going to embarrass myself? I just remember that I'll be dead soon. And, and no one will remember that embarrassing thing I did. I think it's true. I think as humans, we we blow our reality out of proportion. You know, we it consumes us. We're like the things that we think are a big deal. Nobody else cares about. Right. I mean, we all are the center of our own universe, but it's helpful to remember that everyone is in their own universe. Yeah. It's not all about us. Yeah. I think it's really easy to get in your own head. So that's a great way to get this thing started. And uh, when I last connected with you, it was March of 2020. Uh, You were the owner of Crimsy's Cajun uh, Restaurant, the first ever vegan Cajun restaurant in the world. Uh, you had your own little book, cookbook that you put out, uh, self-published, and you also were about to open a second location. You're operating in the black. Life was good. Then the pandemic hit. So where were you when I walked out the doors that day at, at your restaurant? <laughs> if you guys want to check out my original conversation with Crimsy, uh, it, it's uh, episode 705. So you can head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 705. Listen to that episode and get caught up if you want and then come join us in where we are here. Um, or you can continue to listen, but it was a great episode. But where were you? Like what happened the day like, I, that I walked out of your restaurant? Like what, where were you? Where was your business? What was going on? Uh, well, business was great. We were on track to have our best year ever. I think a lot of businesses were around that time, actually, um, just the nature of the economy and such. But I also personally was feeling like, oh, it's flowing. Like we finally have all of our operations manuals done. Like it was like, check, 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 check. This is working. Um, and then, gosh, it must've been like a couple of weeks after that, that, um, we started hearing more about the COVID thing, taking it a little more seriously. You know, masks started running out, and I thought, oh, God, you know, what is happening? And I decided to just sort of do my best and roll with the punches. And we operated basically as a takeout restaurant for a few weeks. And it only took a couple of weeks of that for me to realize this was just not what I wanted to be doing. And I didn't see it going away anytime soon. You know, my landlord tried to convince me it would it would be gone in four weeks. I was like, uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just halted everything and was like, this isn't this isn't what I want to be doing. I was kind of already um, and stop me whenever. You know, I'm kind of on a monologue here, so stop me whenever. But um, I think before COVID hit, I was already feeling a bit fatigued by just being responsible for a business. You know, several years in. And owning a business is super hard and demanding. And so with this extra thing, I was like, you know what? I think this, if it's meant to be, it'll reopen in the future. But for now, I got to go. So before the news of COVID hit, um, were you happy with your restaurant? I mean, you just mentioned that you were were kind of fatigued. You're kind of, Mm -hmm. I think most people, 99.9% of people who are in this industry underestimate how hard it's going to be to run their own restaurant. Um, yes. some more than others, but almost all of us underestimate how hard it's going to be. Uh, were you, were, was there any resentment at that point? Resentment toward opening your business, starting what you assumed? Oh, um, no, 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 no. I think, like you said, we always underestimate it and it didn't matter how many people told me it was hard. I was like, yeah, but I'll, I'll be different. Like I'll, I'll have a great work life balance and I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And, um, to an extent I, I think I did a pretty good job of that, but it still was, it was always a weight on me. Like no matter what, you know, the, the shit always rolled downhill and, and I felt downhill in the sense that I was supporting my staff and, and I love my staff and, and I love the restaurant. So I did whatever it took to, to keep it alive and, and make it successful. Um, so I, I, no, I don't resent 
the choice to open it. I think it, it was the only path to figuring out that that's not what I wanted to do. And that's a very important thing to know. But at this point, when I was there interviewing, interviewing you, sharing your story, you were on path. Like you were continuing at this point. You, you weren't thinking it's time to close. Not at all. I think, um, I had had thoughts of selling, but it was also, um, it was more of a thought like, well, I need two more restaurants. And when I have three, I'll think about like partnering up with another company or maybe selling these three. I didn't, I didn't think like selling one restaurant was an option, but I was sort of thinking about my exit plan. Okay. So, um, I should mention to our listeners that really what we're here to talk about today is when you know it's time to give up or put it in your own words. What, what, what do you really want to communicate? About when it's time to close? Yeah. Like what, what is the, what is the subject line in, in Crimsey's words? Um, well, I think it kind of, there's like two paths. Um, if you love what you're doing, um, then it's a lot different than my path. I think my path was the path of discovery and I, and I had been very goal oriented. So I had this kind of, kind of what, what you might call like a formal exit plan and like a strategy for eventually, um, selling the business or partnering up. But I didn't take into account what I was doing and whether or not I actually liked doing it um, because I was so focused. Like even when we met, I was happy that it was successful and I was like, yes, goals, check, check, check. But the day-to-day was just kind of running me dry. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of one path to exit. It's just like if you just can't do it anymore, then um, you might as well get out now because because actually exiting a business can take several years. I mean, I hear lots of stories about it taking three years from the moment when someone decides that they want out to actually offloading the business. And even then, there's kind of a, a trailing off of like letting go. Yeah. So take us to the point where you were like, okay, like here we are, however far into COVID, uh, I'm not happy. This world of delivery only just isn't doing it for me. Like, Take us through that. What was going on? Paint that Mm -hmm. picture. Uh, I mean, it was total chaos. Um, Not only for myself personally, like emotionally, but um, I had all these employees being like, what's happening? What's, what are we going to do? And, and I didn't really have a lot of great answers for them because I was, I was trying to make some really important decisions on a very short timeframe. Um, so what I did was temporarily close for a couple weeks. And I said, I just need a couple weeks to like, think about it. And it turned out to be good for everyone. A lot of people had sick days that um, they want that. I was like, everyone's getting paid. You're going to get your sick days. So um, in my head, I was like, even if we close, they're all going to get paid for, for all this time anyway. Um, but yeah, those two weeks off showed me a lot. And they also made me realize how stressed I was. What did just, those first what did those two weeks off show you? When was this? Was this like mid March, uh, February? Yeah, I think it was something like maybe even early April. Okay. Like the very beginning of April. Um, yeah. After we had been running for a few weeks as, um, takeout only. So yeah, once, uh, once we decided to temporarily close and sort of like cleaned out the fridges and like, okay, we can put it all down. I realized that I was just, my body was just in this constant state of feeling stressed, even though nothing was happening. So I had just like gotten used to feeling this way all the time. And now that there was nothing to be stressed about. It was still with me and it was a huge wake up call. And um, I think I knew pretty quickly that I wanted to let it go because it just felt so nice to have all of this like time and brain energy. Okay. In that moment when you felt like it's time to let this go, what was the inner dialogue? Did you feel guilt? <laughs> Did you feel like, like um, what was going man, on? Man, it was... It was really complicated. I think there was this the 
the voice that I trusted the most was the one that was like, this isn't for you, let it go. But there were some really loud voices in my head that were like, you know, you built this for your community and now you're just going to shut it down. That's kind of rude. Um, also, um, it's successful. So choosing to close a successful, success, successful business is um, quite nuts to a lot of people because it's kind of the goal, right? Like people struggle for so long to have a successful restaurant and then to just be like, I don't want it. You know, it, it, I think people were offended by it. Um, even uh, more recently, before I dele- deleted my social media, I got a couple messages that um, people were still angry about me closing the restaurant. Um, you know, so it, it, the, all of those fears that people might feel like betrayed or let down, um, in a way they were true, but, you know, I, I realized that it wasn't my fear or my problem to take on. It was like I needed to take care of myself and, and I have my whole life ahead of me and I, and I don't want to spend any more time doing something I don't want to do. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, the things that I would think of, uh, just like, are people going to think I'm a failure? Am I, am I a failure if I quit? And I think, uh, I think so many people who are drawn to this industry are, are afraid of failure. We don't want to fail. What does it say about me? I don't want to be a failure. I work so hard. I'm proud of my work ethic. You know, like I can't fail. And then when you choose, if you choose to quit, even if like you don't like it, you're not happy. It's not doing anything for you. We stick with it because of our ego, because we don't want people to think we can't handle it. Yeah. Was that, that, did that that, cross your mind? That was also a voice in my head. Just, you know, like, um, even though this is your choice, a lot of people aren't going to perceive it that way. And I sort of just had to, you know, in, in one big breath, just like let it all go. It doesn't matter. And I mean, there were even people like trying to organize like fundraisers and stuff. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like it's not, it's really not about that. This just isn't for me. Yeah. This is a choice. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, what, I was really excited when you came to me with this, this topic, because I just think that, uh, so many people like you when you were getting started with Crimsey's Cajun Kitchen, like this was your dream. This was your vision. Like, everything. How excited were you to like open? How bad did you want it? Can you remember back to that? Yeah. I mean, um, everything went into this. I think that the idea of having this space where people could come enjoy this food and more specifically vegan food and sort of like change people's minds and, and just create a place for everyone to hang out and have a certain experience that was um that really drove me i think i spent i mean i, I moved to la and just a little over a year later i was opening the doors to the restaurant so that's you know it's pretty fast um for organized organizing something from nothing yeah um so i, I the, the topic of today's conversation is when do you know it's time to close so when do you know in your opinion when do you um, know well, I think I knew a long time before the moment that I actually chose to close. I think that I, I think that I had known about six months earlier, and that's when, you know, it was just a little bit too late to do anything about it other than just close. I think, um, you know, in the book, the author talks about. So how I should preference because we haven't even mentioned the book yet. But <laughs> I, um, so I gave Crimsy homework, and she like a champion in a week. Just, just read this book, consume this book. So the book is that, that Crimsey is referring to is finish big, uh, finish big, how great entrepreneurs exit their companies on top. And this is written by Bo Burlingham. Uh, and Bo Burlingham is also the author of small giants. Um, and he, he's kind of an advocate for, uh, companies who choose to stay small because there's a certain essence, a certain 
culture that is hard to achieve when you get above a certain size and that you can actually make a bigger impact with a smaller organization um, on the lives of the people in that organization if you choose to stay small. Um, And this is his follow-up book, How to Finish Big. This is idea of so many people enter into the restaurant industry and they don't have an exit strategy. Their exit strategy is death. Like this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and I'm just going to do this until I die. But the truth, the reality is, like we pointed out earlier, 99.9% of people underestimate or miscalculate what the reality of owning a restaurant is going to be like. So I, I think it's really important that you go into opening a restaurant well versed on how to get out of it. Like, what is your exit strategy? Are you, are you going to like, it's just really important. So I guess what I'm curious about, or do you, what was your, your train of thought before I kind of set up the listeners to know what you're referring to the the book? Um, Oh, good question. I kind of got sidetracked thinking about what you were talking about, but I, I, I think, well, I'll just sort of go from there then. I think, um, so I hadn't read the book, but I, I did have some business background. So when I started the restaurant, like I said, I was sort of thinking about my eventual exit, but, um, by the end of it, I realized it was so opposite of what I wanted to be doing. It didn't matter like how well I set it up. I just couldn't do it anymore. And so I think really my mistake was more in the beginning side of um, just underestimating the amount of work and like not realizing how important it was to have, you know, at least a partner or a good support network. Like I did it all on my own and just got so fatigued. Um, but yeah, so I don't remember exactly what my point was specifically about the book. Can you mind reminding me what? I'm sure it will will come back. I don't remember either, but like really straight up, like I I like to say a restaurant unstoppable part of my mission, you know, the the mission statement is to inspire, empower and transform the industry. But I also have a little like side mission to talk people out of doing this, you know? Yeah. I think, I think it can become very goal oriented in the sense that like you mentioned so many people, well, maybe you didn't say this today, but a, a lot of people who try to open a restaurant ultimately fail. So I think that we're not thinking about our exit strategy soon enough because we're just so focused on, I hope this works, you know? So the goal is just to make it work. And then we sort of go from there. So you said three things. You said um, you underestimated the amount of work it was going to be. You didn't have a partner and you didn't have the support system. So reflecting back, um, you said like, what was your thought of what it was going to be like? And what was the reality (laughs) of it? Like, what did you not expect like what was the work yeah. you didn't consider like let's try to talk some people that's a really good question i think um so i'll kind of tie this into a lot of the comments that people made when they found out i was closing the restaurant one of the top things people said was like why don't you just get a manager and um i think that that was my thought going into the restaurant that i could just hire a couple managers you know set up a schedule for them that eventually they would like run it for me um and i think like a lot of other restaurateurs the exciting part to me was building it setting up a menu, just like getting everything in place. And then in theory, in a perfect world, I would have just been able to walk away. And I, and I knew that wasn't totally possible, but I thought like, well, I'll get pretty close because I'll just hire great people. Um, but the reality is you, I think you do need people right alongside you, like in the trenches with you, not people that you're managing directly. People who have skin in the game, people who are as yeah. invested as you are, people who have something to lose. Yeah, exactly. And you know, my hope was that along the way I would find someone like that, but I just never did. I'm not exactly sure why. So I always say two people determine your growth cash flow. Sorry. I always say two things determine your growth: <laughs> people and cash flow. Uh, and I, I'm right there with you. Like I, I don't, I know uh, 
my whole when I was looking to start Restaurant Unstoppable, the idea was I'd start the podcast first, get the pod because it was easier to start a podcast and to generate revenue from a podcast than it is to start a successful restaurant on your own. Let the cash flow from the podcast help be my cash flow to start the restaurant and to surround myself with people who I could part potentially partner with and open a restaurant. I, I mean, I still want to do that. I just, I just, I think my, my reality, like the, the, the knowledge I've garnered along the way, like I'm just not in a hurry to do it. Like I want to have cash yeah. falling out of my ears and a, a line of people waiting to, to work with me so I can find the right people and know that we have the cash to do it. Um, I think I really do think that you, you need a partner to be successful today. So not everybody agrees with that statement. You can do it by yourself, but it's, are you willing to do it by yourself is the question. What goes through yeah. your mind when I say that? You totally can. And, uh, you know, obviously you can, but it's, man, it's a, it's so exhausting. And I think that, um, I think that really good operators and operator partners are so hard to find because it's not, you have to be like a, a certain personality to truly enjoy doing that every day and, and like keeping operations running smoothly. And so if you find someone like that, great partner up immediately. Um, but I think there, there are a lot fewer and far between than we realize. I thought that great operators were just like floating around waiting for a home. Not so much. Yeah. Um, I think now is a good time to take a, a first break to, to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Did you know that in 2020, the number of people using ordering and delivery services surged by 30%? And as a restaurant owner, it's crucial to have the ability to meet guests where they are. And that's where Pop Menu comes in. Pop Menu gives restaurant owners the tools they need to transform their online presence, simplify ordering and delivery, and take control of marketing. Pop Menu will build your restaurant a website that's designed to engage guests. Pop Menu allows you to showcase your menu with featured photos and reviews, which means it's time to ditch those boring PDFs. But Pop Menu is so much more than just online menus. It is the simple and efficient way to streamline your ordering experience. Each pop menu site is built with an in-house delivery option to open more revenue streams and greet guests wherever they want to eat. This means no more phone orders or losing commission to third-party apps, and you can easily set up curbside pickup and contactless ordering, plus pop menus remarketing tools enable you to build long lasting relationships with your guests. You can now send automated smart messages based on past orders, or you can send special offers to incentivize new orders. Trust me, pop menu will take your restaurant to the next level. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month. Plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. One more time for good measure, popmenu.com slash unstoppable. So we're back and we were just talking about how, you know, people just completely underestimate the the realities of what it is to run this industry uh, or to be in this industry, to be successful in this industry, uh, the power of partnerships being totally necessary. Like I, I don't see you being able to compete at a high level, competitive level with on your own. I just, unless you're a freak of nature, but let's be honest, most of us are not freaks of nature. Um, uh, yeah. At least not long-term. Exactly. You're going to burn out yeah. eventually. Uh, what about you, you said you didn't have the support structure. What do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, 
Um, so I had like a, I had plenty of friends and family that made me feel supported personally, but I didn't. I knew no one with a restaurant. Um, I sort of I gradually built up my network after opening a restaurant um, and reaching out to just random restaurant owners, and we and, and many of them I'm still friends with today. I love them. Uh, restaurant but they, people you know, are I, the best people. That's why I started this podcast. They are. Yeah. They really are. And I, I wish that I could have um, built up those connections a little sooner. But it's also kind of hard to get taken seriously when you're trying to uh, when you're trying to make friends with restaurant owners. She's like, I'm planning on opening a restaurant, and I'm like, okay, great. You know, um, a, a lot of people are just really busy, and and I get that. Because um, even when I had my restaurant, I, you know, I'd have people reach out and say like, I'm thinking about doing my own thing. Would you be down to catch up for coffee? And I'm just like, I cannot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nothing personal, but I just uh, currently is not a good time for me and probably uh no time this year. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Um but I mean, you you bring up a good point. I think that um a lot of people are afraid to reach out to other restaurateurs because of the the reasons you just listed and th- those reasons are valid. Yeah. But it never hurts to try to reach out. And oftentimes the more successful they are, the more time they actually have. Because they've they've replaced the reason why they're successful is because they've learned to lean on systems, processes, procedures, and they've surrounded themselves with a team of people, and they 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 attract people. That's what they do. That's why you're interested in talking to them, and they're good at making time for people. Um, and there are so I wouldn't let that discourage you from reaching out to restaurateurs. Absolutely, no, 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 do. no. Yeah, I think um, people. I think a lot of people either want to make time and do, or want to make time but can't but it's I don't know I never was like oh my god I can't believe they wrote me this message you know I was more like wow I'm, I'm really honored that they love my place and they'd like to chat um, I wish that I had more time one tip for reaching out is um, having a specific question I'll throw that in like if you're like you know I'm I'm thinking of opening my own place and I'm looking at A versus B it's a lot easier for um, whoever you're messaging to sort of like have a a reply rather than a, you know, an open call of like, would you like to meet up? It's, it's, it's a little easier to respond yeah. to that. Also what skill set, what asset, what value do you bring to that restaurant tour? Hey, I would love yeah. 30 minutes of your time in an exchange. I'm really great at filling the blank and I would love to reciprocate some way and help you out for making time. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Or even, even offering to bring coffee over, you know, uh, there were a couple of times where I was like, Hey, can I stop by, bring you a po' boy and we chat for like 10 minutes yeah. and that works. Yeah. <laughs> so what in your mind, uh, if you could have created this support system or the support structure that you're lacking, what would that have looked like? What would, what would you have needed? Actually, Eric, I, you didn't set this up, but it's going to sound like you did because I, did. after discovering your network, I'm like, this is exactly what I would have loved to have. Just like a very restaurant specific group of people that um, all care about each other and providing feedback. I saw someone had um, in in the message board or, or the feed or whatever you want to call it. They were talking about their first day open and like I had these problems with toast and like, you know, people are chiming in like, oh yeah, we same problem or like, you know, we should do this or that. And that's exactly what I would have loved to have. Well, thank you for the plug. Um, that was yeah. not scripted. Uh, so <laughs> I, I invite all my guests to the network because I know the value of a network is only as good as the people in it. So, and if I have somebody on the show, they, they get an automatic lifetime access to the network. Cause I'm just trying to put amazing people into the network. And my mission with that network is to connect leaders with the next generation of leaders. So it's, it's slowly and steadily growing. I think we have 170 people in the network. Um, and all my past guests get invitations to that network and we do peer mentoring sessions. 
questions so you can literally connect with my guests. I'm going to stop trying to sell the network now, but I, <laughs> but I mean, this is just, it just lines up. Like you need a support structure. You need, you need people to go to who get it, who, because often like you, you might, even if you have a great like group of friends, uh, in, in an area where you're opening a restaurant, it's like being a single, like I'm single and all my friends have kids and I go to hang out with them and I'm like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. I just can't relate. It's the same thing with owning a restaurant. It's a child. And unless you own a restaurant, you just can't relate. So you need people to talk to. You need people who will understand. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I wasn't even trying to bring the network into this, but I could see that you make that connection. Uh, But if, if you didn't have the network and you wanted a network, what would that, what would that have looked like for you in your community? Um, if I could have set up the perfect network in imaginary land. Yeah. Um, well, uh, what, I would what, have loved I think the better to, question is what kind of network do you think you need to open a restaurant to have the support you need? Ah, uh, okay. Um, well, yeah, like we mentioned, I think having a partner is critical. I, I went into it with the opposite attitude of like everyone telling me, everyone who had a bad partner experience was like, oh, you don't want to be dealing with all that. Just own the whole thing. You don't have to worry about any partner doing anything weird. It's all yours. You can control everything. So I was like, oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, sure. But uh, again, I severely underestimated the amount of work it would take. And I, there were so many nights I went to sleep wishing I had a partner. <laughs> um, so that would be first and foremost. I think beyond that, um, I don't know that you need more than one partner, but you do need to share the load. Uh, but I would have loved to also have some sort of like um, advisory board um, set up in whatever way made sense. Um, but just a, a, a team of people that um, could help me with things. And, and I eventually sort of assembled this team, but um, important was like bookkeeping and accounting. Um, there, you know, I started doing it all myself and quickly realized like, this is a terrible idea. Um, and then like someone on call for, for legal stuff and HR things. Um, I would have also just liked to have like a couple mentors that could somehow derive benefit from like being a mentor to me. I don't know exactly what I could offer them back, but um, you know, now that I'm on the other side, I would be happy to mentor someone. And um, I think that, you know, it's kind of like you work with, <laughs> with the boy scouts or the girl scouts or whatever. It's, it's kind of the same feeling of like, you just want to give back somehow. So I'm sure those people are out there, but yeah, that would have been, a great team. I think I also would have loved to have um, a manager or two for the restaurant that were involved in the company financially to sort of give them a piece. And, and, and that was a goal for what I was trying to do. I wanted to give them pieces, but it just never quite worked out. So if I, yeah, if, if I were somehow how able to have general managers that were involved in the company financially, that would be awesome. Yeah. So, I'm curious. Um, I did give you homework and I've never given my guests homework and you, you received it so graciously. Uh, after reading the book, finish big, would you have opened your restaurant any differently? Would, are there anything, are there any, like lessons you picked up from that book that you wish you had known or perspective that you garnered from that book that you wish you had known before opening? And would you have exited your business any differently? I actually, um, not so much. I think that maybe like some of the technical things about what I had planned for the exit might've changed, but the overall philosophy would have been the same. I think that for me personally, it just came down to like, Oh, whoops, I'm doing something I don't want to do. I better fix that. And I couldn't hang on another couple of years to make it work, especially through COVID. Um, But 
In reading that book, there were a couple things that jumped out at me that I found kind of funny that are really true. Uh, towards the end of the book, Bo talks about how once you've run your own business, it's going to be really hard to go back to work for someone else. 100% true. Um, and also, it's going to be really hard to ever want to manage anyone again. And I totally agree with that. So it, I guess it would have been nice to know going in that once you own your own business, you're kind of wrecking your chances for assimilating back into the normal corporate structure. <laughs> yeah. So your options on the other side are a lot different than, you know, it, it'll be really hard to just go back to work, you know. Yeah. Um, so how did you exit your business? Did you just like walk away? Did you, did you, yeah, I mean, I, I would like loss? to call it, I walked away responsibly, okay. but more or less, I just sort of dropped everything. I, I, um, I had two leases, one on the new restaurant that we were about to start construction on. And I think you um, didn't start the construction, huh? I, yeah, actually I was meeting with the contractor going over the plan and we were, and we were, considering demoing the following Monday, starting the demolition process. And I was like, you know what, let's just pause a minute and see what happens with this whole COVID thing. Cause it was so new. Um, so I'm glad that we made that call. Actually, before you, I, I want to come back to this, but I, I think I, before we really start to unpackage how you walked away and what you did to do that responsibly, let's get back into that, that mind. Like what you took two weeks off, right? You took two weeks off to just, the plan at that time, what was the original plan when you took the two weeks off just to get like a mental break to give your employees a mental break for you to, were you yeah. on the fence at this point? Did you think maybe you do want to close it, but you weren't ready to say it out loud and you just yes. needed to take some time. That's exactly it. I think that I, I knew that I was going to close, but I just, it felt like too abrupt. So, um, also I, I hadn't in my head that wasn't, I, you know, obviously in hindsight, it's a lot easier to see. But at the time, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And I truly felt that way. Um, so for me, it was just a break. And it was it was at the um, my partner had suggested it. Uh, my boyfriend, not my business partner, obviously. Uh, my boyfriend was like, why don't you just take some time off? See how it goes. Because he's been watching me for years. And I think he also knew it was time to close. But he better not say it. <laughs> um, so. I followed his advice, took the two weeks off, and yeah, it just became crystal clear. But, you know, the funny thing about that is even after I decided to close, I, ha I woke up one morning and was like, no, <laughs> and totally reversed all of my plans, started making phone calls, was like, we're opening back up, like, we can do this, we're going to make it work. And, you know, the universe simply wasn't having that because I just hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, and um, I, about three days into my new plan, I realized like, ah, yeah, this, no, it's time to close. It really is. Yeah. So you make the decision to close. Um, what does closing responsibly look like? Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't, you know, it was my first closing responsibly. So I had a lot of, I had to learn a lot. Um, I had a few friends in real estate and so I chatted with them about, you know, like what are my options here? Cause uh, my new location, I had not even paid a, a month of rent. I was still in the free rent period, uh, followed by a five-year lease. So, <laughs> you know, I was like, am I in big trouble? Or like, what does this mean? And my, what everyone in the real estate industry told me was, you know, what you could really do is give your landlords a big finger and just walk away because they're in a tight spot too. And there's nothing that they can do about it. The pandemic is almost a blessing in disguise for a lot of people yeah. because there were a lot um, of people in your shoes who were like, I'm profitable. I'm doing the work. But I'm not happy, and now the pandemic is is not. I'm not fucking up. The pandemic screwed me. It's not my fault. I'm not failing. This is this <laughs> is my opportunity to get out and to be able to point my finger at 
you know, the pandemic is a reason why I closed. And I think yeah. there's a lot of truth to that. I don't think people talk about that. They're like, they say all these closures. I'm like, oh, yeah. how many people I, I agree. look I think, at this um, as a blessing in disguise? There were definitely, I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I, I would have to say there were probably a lot of people who viewed this as an opportunity and myself included. Um, and yes, the pandemic technically was part of it, but to me, you know, I hate to call the pandemic uh, a blessing, you know, it's, it's, it's touchy, but, um, for me personally, I just, it just all became very clear. And I was like, this is my moment. Like if I hold on any longer than right now, then I'm going to be stuck with it. And this is a great opportunity to just drop everything. And I, I, I should point out, yes, there are a lot of people who want this industry, who do love this industry, who have no, had no plans of ever leaving the industry who were forced out yeah. of it because of the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. And there I are do want to, sad stories and I do want to recognize that. those people and I don't mean to sound insensitive, but th- thank you. Yeah. For, for, yeah. A lot of people lost a lot yeah. and you know, I lost a lot too, but, um, it, I guess it didn't feel so bad because it was my choice. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't want to really give my landlord's finger and walk away because I had good relationships with both of them and you know, they're struggling too. It's, it's all like one big struggle together. So, um, we negotiated on amounts that felt good to both of us, which felt fair. And um, yeah, the rest of the stuff was a lot easier to untangle because I didn't have any debt with the business. Um, and, you know, everything else was just kind of like cancel subscription to that, cancel subscription to that. Um, the hardest part was definitely just the employees. And and there was no way for me to possibly ever explain to them how difficult this was for me and how difficult I knew it was for them. Um, I did my best. Um, but so, yeah, so I just made sure that everyone, once the business was closed, I made sure everyone was able to get on unemployment. If they needed help filing, I helped them with that. And, um, you know, to be honest, I think a lot of the employees viewed it as a little blessing too. Uh, again, you know, I know that there were a lot of rough times for everybody, but the the silver lining for them was that they now get to sort of have this time off, you know, and that's another thing that, is sort of a touchy subject to talk about because politically it's a bit charged, but um, I think a lot of people were able to find a way to benefit from this just sort of pause. I would say that humanity in general, especially Western humanity with the culture of go, 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 work, 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 work. uh, It's a, a, we're blind to it because it's all we know, but relative to, to different cultures, like we work so much like for what, you know, yeah, um, exactly. We're blind to it, so I think that yeah, there, there is, there are silver linings to the pandemic. You know, it's devastating, but there are absolutely silver linings, and this is one of them. It forced everybody to go. <sighs> yeah, you know, and we Sit we down, had a chance to a breathe breath. and to be yeah. around like our loved ones for the be forced around our loved ones. You know, to isolate and um, to quarantine with our loved ones and to you know breathe and to reflect and to dream new dreams and to say, what do I really want to do next? You know, um, employees and owners. Uh, yeah. Did you want yeah, to actually, I, I watched, it's been really cool to watch our employees because, you know, everyone didn't just scramble and like go get a new restaurant job. Um, a lot of them chose to like take completely different paths or like go to school and, um, or have babies. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, it, I think this pause was awesome. And, you know, for me and for, the employees. It just it gave us some time to just not worry about money and just think about like what are we doing here. So I think I might have missed it. And if you if you did touch on this, you said like how to close responsibly. You didn't just give your landlords a finger. Uh, what are the things like the tech? Like if if somebody's listening to this right now and they're like, I'm thinking about closing. 
I'm resonating with Crimsey's words. What did you learn from this experience that you learned the hard way that you could prevent somebody else from making the same mistake or not being blindsided by something? Yeah. Um, well, this is another thing Bo touches on in the book, but just being like, I, I don't know what the appropriate level of transparency is for communicating with your employees. I feel like I took some sort of middle ground, like, hey, everyone, I need some time to think. Um, I'm not sure what I want to do. And there's sort of like some read between the lines stuff there, right? Um, and then when I when I decided that it's what I wanted, I was very clear about that. But then I, I sort of confused them all by being like, wait a minute, who wants to come back to work? You know, so it's like, whoa, I can imagine how chaotic that probably was for everyone. So I would say that um, just be very diligent about your communications with with everyone, but especially your employees. And um, What is diligent communication? What do you mean by that? What does that look like? <laughs> Meaning like, uh, what I mean by that is, just think carefully about what you're saying and why you're saying it. I think that uh, in general, I tend to be like super transparent. And in this case, there were areas where I held back because I felt like I should. And then other areas where I overshared. And in hindsight, I wish that I had had a better plan before I just dumped it on my employees. Yeah. And if you, I mean, it's kind of like most people listening to this, not everyone listening to this has closed a restaurant, but I think you, most people listening to this have been in a relationship where yeah. one one day you're like, I'm over this person. Like, yeah. this is done. I don't ever want to go back to it. Then a day goes by and you're like, but I still love them. And right. I, and, Aww. you know, it's like, it's kind of yeah. like that. And like, you want it back. And it's going to be a roller coaster of emotions. Like, you're going to have days where you're like, no, this this is, this isn't where I'm not compatible with the restaurant industry. Um, it's not right. But then you're like, but my customers and the things I do love. And um, yeah, like you're, it's, you, it's going to take time for you to like, find an equilibrium a place where you really do truly land uh but but until then it's going to be high peaks and valleys until it, it like equalizes. for sure and you know one thing i am glad i did is that i kept all communications completely open to everybody it wasn't like you know i'm only telling the leads and then you know of course information gets trickled down to everyone yeah. um it felt good to do it in that way that we we're all kind of a group understanding what was happening together. Yeah. And just like in a relationship, you don't want to tell your partner when you're having a bad day, this is over, you know, like yeah. I never want to talk right. to you again. And then the next day you're like, I was just having a bad day. Like, will you come back to me? You know, it's yeah. just like yeah. that. It's, 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 it's people, it's emotions, it's feelings, you know, it's, it's planning. It's my, this is my life. Like if you're not in my life, then I need to think about what's next. I need to think about my next job or my next partner. My, you know, right. So it's it's a really good analogy, um, unintentional. Yeah, but. I think it'd be tempting to hold on to that information too because you don't want people to start going like, oh, well, what's my next thing? You know, exactly. um, but I, I, I truly think that it's better to tell everyone and just sort of deal with what happens after because if you've done a good do- job with your team and it truly is a place where people feel cared for they're not going to jump ship as fast as you think they are. In fact, there are people at the end just like really want employees really wanting to, to help me with everything. You know, they surprised me with how much they cared about me and the business. Yeah. So uh, back to the book, Bo's book, uh, finish big. Uh, I would say the front half of that book is much more appropriate for most of the people who are listening to this podcast. The second half of that book is all about EBITDA and like yeah. big companies and, uh, yeah, yeah. Like you're making over $25 million a year with all of your assets 
type of companies. And that's not everyone who's listening to this, but the front end of that book definitely, I think relates to most people and they make some really good points. Um, one of the big lessons I learned from that, that book, and maybe you can reciprocate with another lesson you learned is does your business hinge on you? And I think a lot of people, um, if you're going into business and, and you want to sell your business as an asset, does your business need you to survive? And I think a yeah. lot of people, especially chefs who build brands around their skill set, uh, find themselves in a position where it's hard for them to sell because their business, they are the business. So ask yourself, do I really want to center a business around me and my skill sets? Or do I want to create systems around a thing done really well and where I can remove myself from that? What are your thoughts as I'm, sh- as I'm sharing this? Um, well, you're sort of making me, you're making me think about a mistake that I did make, um, which was thinking that this business didn't need me. Um, because when I went into it, like I said, I had plans for like, oh, it'd be cool to open three and then who knows what happened from there. But I sort of had like a rough five-year plan. Um, but what I didn't realize that, uh, I didn't realize that the, one of the things that gave me the most joy was connecting individually with customers and employees and creating the space that I could also be a part of. Um, so when I began, when it began to grow, I realized that I was taking the joy out of it for myself. So, um and it's it's really difficult to say if they actually needed me, but like I guess I needed them. So my original plan made no sense. Yeah. Basically, that was a mistake I made is not realizing which parts I would like. Were there any lessons from that book that you weren't previously privy to? Um, I think some of the details, but um, overall, yeah, not particularly. I think, but it was, it was cool to hear it, um, formatted so well. And I wish that I would have read that whole book before I started just to sort of have more of a roadmap. I think that I piecemealed all of that stuff together over four years that I was in business. Okay. Um, it's definitely, I think a must read for anybody who's going into business. I think a lot of it in the middle and towards the end is going to fly over your head. Even me over the past I, re- I I listened to the book on audio over the past five days just to be prepared for this conversation. And my eyes were crossing towards the end. Like <laughs> it, it, it can be a little convoluted and you can get lost in the minutia. Uh, and it, but if you, if you're looking to scale a big business and you, and you do eventually want an exit strategy, it's a book that's worth powering through and really trying to understand what they're talking about. Um, for sure. Uh, what, so you mentioned like what happened after you closed? Like what, what was your plan? Like, did, did you have a plan? Did you have money put away? Like, were you able to sell? Did you have any assets that you could sell and get money? I mean, how were the assets even easy to sell during a time where restaurants just weren't yeah, opening? No, <laughs> not like, at all. Happened? I think, um, you know, it's perhaps the worst time ever financially speaking to close a restaurant because no one is interested in buying. Um, no one wants your stuff. There's stuff everywhere. Um, so the assets I did have, like equipment, just I left with my landlord as part of our lease negotiation or termination. And um, I did lose money that year. But yeah, it, it didn't really feel that important because I was I was kind of, free, you know, I was like, from free. So I'm going to ask you some personal questions, but I think it's sure. important to talk about this stuff. What kind of nest egg did you have put away before opening Crimsy? Or Crimsy's um, so- Cajun Kitchen? 
Yeah, and I'll I'll be very transparent about that. I had my I 401k, which I didn't really want to touch, but you know I had a couple hundred thousand dollars in there. Um, I wound up touching it to open the restaurant, which I uh, opened the restaurant on about thirty thousand dollars. What that's a lot of people would call shoestring stupid. budget. That's stupid. Cheap. Well done. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know it was very. I'm glad that it went that way because I think that if I had had more money, it would have been a different restaurant, and I liked how it turned out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had that to start with, with, uh, I don't know, I probably had like $50,000 in my account cause I, I had just come from like a regular salary. So you job. had a few hundred thousand dollars put away in your 401k. Yeah. You had $50,000 of cash in a, a checking account. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This and this so is all before opening, this is before opening. So we opened and the first couple months, I mean, you know, I wouldn't say they went well. I would say that we just sort of like barely maintained and in my mind you know i had like a break-even number we need to make this much per day just to like not be losing money and we were just like hovering right under that line and so i started to get a little stressed out and started wondering like am i gonna have to dip into my 401k again and if so would i do that or would i just walk away and i think i didn't have to get quite there but i i sort of mentally committed to like i'm not gonna just keep digging the hole if this isn't working um but, you know, luckily it caught on and things turned around and, um, you know, surpassed my wildest dreams. And that was that was really great. And um, and the business was making money, but I, I wasn't taking much of it out personally. I was sort of just like setting it aside to use for I was planning to open the second restaurant with cash um, and just stay out of debt. Because um, I, I generally I like to kind of live my life out of debt. I think it's just it's just extra stress that I don't I don't want to deal with. Yep. So you're bringing up a huge point, needs. though, um, that we didn't even talk about, which is a huge part of this. Don't open a restaurant unless you have cash reserves, yeah. backup plans, like security. Uh, and most people are barely scraping by. They're they're living paycheck to paycheck, and if they go, if they have a couple bad weeks, they're they're done. You know. Uh, yep. The the other thing that that having that cash reserve, having a couple hundred thousand dollars security, even though you don't want to tap into that. Uh, but by having that there is also now you can walk away if you have to, if it's just not right. right. Um, and we, we just, we don't, we don't think like that for some reason. We don't give ourselves, we don't have this, this, it takes a year sometimes to get the loyal customer base that you need to stay in the black, you know? And by having that nest egg, by having $50,000 put aside for you to cover your own liabilities for a year or to cover the liabilities of your, your employees. Like we don't, we're always so undercapitalized when we get started. So the, I think the first thing you did that was the best thing that you could have ever done is gone into the restaurant overcapitalized and you're still even then being conservative. Yeah. Yeah. I was always very conservative. I assumed we would not make any money for like six months. Yeah. And then we would close. <laughs> uh, so when that's your expectation, anything above that is great. So by having that cash reserve, it, it made you, it made it easier for you to walk away. It's safe to say. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, I, I have a few friends that I talk to about closing the restaurant, friends in the industry. And um, I would say like, you know, I just, I don't think this is for me and I'm, I'm feeling stressed about it. And I don't, I don't know if I'm making the right decision. And they're like, well, you know, if it makes you feel any better, we don't have a decision. Like this is our livelihood. And if we, we would go completely bankrupt right now to get out of this and we have no other way of making money, like this is what we do. So, so yeah. How, how much of a hit did you take? If you don't mind me asking, well, how much of a loss was crimsy for you? Yeah. Or was it, or was um, it break even? the year we closed uh, on my taxes, I lost $70,000. So you lost $70,000 um, on your taxes. It's, 
I could be better <laughs> when it comes to accounting. Was, was there any other loss that you had? Like, was there a net loss or overall, did you break even? Um, well, I mean, like overall running the business was profitable. Um, we were, we were making about 20% profit on our sales and we, the year before we closed, it was like 1.3 something million in sales. Um, so we were making money, but the year that we closed, we only had like a couple of months in the beginning and that didn't nearly offset just the, you know, the cost of like getting out of leases and like early termination fees. I had just bought like new POS equipment that I now owed money on. Um, a lot of stuff like that. It just, it adds up. And then before you know what it, what was the approximation from the amount of money that you put in, that you invested in your POS, uh, the amount of money that you invested in or the, the hit you took on lease breaking your lease and all that stuff. Okay. Was- um, yeah, I think I, on the lease, both leases combined, I think I took a hit of about maybe like thirty five, forty thousand dollars Is that factored um, into the 70000 on your taxes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So all of that was included. Um, and then, yeah, my POS, I mean, if anyone's bought a POS, you know how crazy expensive they are, but I think I owed like 8000 on that. Um, was it Toast? I think I then, remember you using Toast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Toast. Yeah. We, we, I mean, we had just gotten a new system, like I, I want to say like a couple of months ago or something. Um, yeah. And then sort of just like these random costs of like, you know, I needed to hire someone to come take down the sign. I needed to hire someone to do this and that and all of that quickly adds up. I mean, it's the same as like when you're opening a business, just before you know it, you've accidentally spent double your budget. Yeah. Uh, closing goes the same way. Now with the, the hardware from the POS, did you guys have a KDS or anything like that in the background or in the, in the, the kitchen? Yeah, we had two kitchen display units, a uh, handheld tablet and like a main POS. About printers and things like that. Yeah, and printers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Were you but able those, to I sell mean, that to another restaurant? Because I feel like... No, you would think so. I don't... I think part of it was it was COVID and there was just a Are surplus. Are you still sitting on those? Thing. Huh? Are you still sitting on those assets? I eventually sold them for I was going to say, because we got some listeners that might be able to <laughs> take those off. I know. If I had known about this, it would have been a great place <laughs> to post them. But yeah, I mean, I basically gave them away uh, about six months ago because I was moving. I was like, can't keep these in the garage anymore. Yeah. What, so are you going to keep the crimson sign and put that like on your, you know, like in the basement someday or well, like on the, the living room? Actually, I have one piece of wood sitting over here by me. Um, and it's something I'm just like, you know, I'm like, no, I'm not letting it go, but I have no idea what I'm going to do with it. So after you did close and after you took your hit of $70,000, and I'm not going to say $70,000 was just a drop in the bucket for you. I mean, that was a good no. chunk. It was a good chunk. Yeah. But you still have some liquidity, you know, like you, you still have money put away a runway to figure it out. What's next? Right. Yeah. Cause I remember yeah, I seeing think- like social media. Like I remember seeing you on social media, like it looked like you were living your best life. Like you're a roller skating every day. You're going like, <laughs> it was fantastic. I mean, yes, it money doesn't solve all the problems, but you know, I, what's the quote? Like it, it solves a lot of problems, something like that. Money helps everything. Um, so I had enough, you know, my 401k was still there as a padding and I had been contributing to it over the years, which by the way is very important. I didn't pay myself for the first couple of years and then was like, what am I doing? (laughs) Um, so I'm glad that I had done that. And then I, you know, I had cash in the bank and stuff. And so I had, um, I had all this time to just explore. And, you know, the funny thing about it is I, I wasn't worried about money because I live pretty modestly and I don't need a lot of things. And I, you know, whatever, I just, my life is pretty cheap and, even then, well, I think because I wasn't stressed about money, like ways to make money sort of just came. Um, like as I got curious about things and, you know, in 2020, a lot of people were talking about crypto and I was like, oh, let me throw a little money in there. And then 
you know, later in the year, I was like, let me throw a lot of money in there. Let me throw all my money in there, uh, which, you know, is not great investment advice. But but my point is, because I just had time to be curious and like learn things, you know, I took a, a class, I learned to play a violin, just all these kind of things I was dabbling in. I found these like natural paths to building more skills and finding other ways to make money. And, and I think I like it this way. So wait, yeah, that's a good point. Like when you finally cut all ties and you're uh, Cajun kitchen free, what was your strategy going forward? Like what was your plan? Like what, like did you have a plan or were you just, no, just, did you just that accept? was the scariest part. Yeah. The scariest part was closing, but not really having a plan, which, you know, again, in Bo's book, he talks a lot about when it's time you have to be setting yourself up. Um, but I was not set up at all. I suddenly had like nothing to do. Um, and I just had to sort of start from scratch. But I, I think that's, you know, that's fine. That's how it was for me. I, I, for several months, I would sleep like 11 or 12 hours a night. And, you know, I don't, I can't really explain that. I don't think that's exactly how sleep. You're making up sleep for lost dead. time. Yeah. I, you know, um, but I just, man, I just could I just loved sleeping and then I slowly like sort of came outside and was like, Oh, what, what is everyone doing out here? I started playing beach volleyball. Is it say you were depressed or were you relieved after this? No, I was, I was so happy. I think, um, just the feeling of freedom is like the opposite of depression. And I've been very, actually getting personal again, when I had the restaurant, maybe in like 20, that must've been 2018 ish. I got super depressed and started having suicidal ideations and, you know, I wound up getting help, but that, that I know what depression feels like. And this was the exact opposite. It was like the whole world is in front of me. I can do whatever I want. Um, like all the doors are open and now I just get to figure out which one I want to walk through. Yeah. I mean, but what I loved about your story when I, when I asked like, did you have a plan? Did you have a strategy? Uh, just doing things, just experiencing things. And that's the advice I'd give to somebody who's, just coming out of high school and notice I did not say culinary school or like college. Cause I do not suggest going to college or culinary school. If you want to become a restaurateur, just go work for people and yeah. ask lots of questions and read lots of books. Uh, but also give yourself perspective, go work for right. a lot of different people, go try as many different things as possible. And guess what? If you have a lot of school loan debt, that's not an option because you then become you know, liable for paying that debt and not getting experiences. Right. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like what you were doing is just that, like you were just giving yourself experiences and kind of just in, in, in giving yourself experiences, trying to find a new path. Yes. And I love your advice to not go to college. If you want to open a restaurant, I think actually we send kids to college way too early. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, and I'm a prime example of that. I graduated when I was 17 years old and, went straight to school and like picked a job. And then I did that for a few years and obviously that didn't work out. I switched careers, opened a restaurant, but like, I think the key to finding long-term happiness and sustainability in your job is having the freedom to, to dabble in this and that, and then see what wakes you up and, and, and not do a job just because the salary's good or because it's going to make you feel smart or put you in the right places. It's like, no, truly what, when you do it, lights you up and puts you in some sort of state that you forget you're doing it. And, um, you know, it's different for everybody. And have how you found you that in this, new, in this new, are you still searching for that or have you found it or uh, I think I'm still searching for it, but I'm, I think, you know, just as important as it is to notice what lights you up. I think you also have to notice what drains you. 
And so a lot of this process has been like, you know, how does this feel? Mm, it's fine. Or like, how does this feel? Definitely a no. Okay, great. Now we know it's a no. We can move on from that. Um, so I'm still, I feel like I'm sort of like bouncing back and forth towards something that I don't know what it is yet. But I kind of feel feels- the same exact way, even though I still have restaurant unstoppable and it's better than ever and things are good. Like there's a lot of pressure. I feel a lot of pressure right now because I don't believe my own success. And also I know that at any moment the world can change and yeah. podcasting might not be a big deal or there's going to be yeah. a way better podcaster out there who does exactly what I do or whatever. Or I say something that offends somebody or a lot of people, which is very possible. I'm, I'm waiting for <laughs> it to happen at any moment. Um, and that I, I could like my sponsors could pull or anything. So I'm thinking like, how do I, especially after listening to the finish big, like restaurant stoppable kind of hinges on my skill set and my ability to put out content. What happens if I get sick or I lose my voice or like whatever million things could happen. Like I need to think like what next, but at the same time I'm so afraid of doing something just for the sake of making money that I end up hating my life. Cause right now I love it. I mean, yeah. In, I mean, in full transparency, restaurant stoppable grossed $200,000 this year. Um, I didn't net that I, I net, $80,000, which is more money than I've ever made and more money that I could, I'm so happy to be making that talking to people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But do I need more? Do I want more? Like I get to work 35 in the book too. I I travel the country. I talk to interesting people. I get to learn exactly what I want to learn about. Like, and I get to, and I have this, this key, this podcast is a key to open doors to get access to people. I normally wouldn't get access to. And I work about 35 to 40 hours a week. You know what I'm saying? And it's on when I feel like working, do I really want to scale? Do I really want to get bigger? Do I really want to take on more or can I just recognize what I have right now and just choose to enjoy it? You know, it's tough. So I I kind of, does that relate with where you are right now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like your financial needs are met and you're doing what you love. And I think that that's where opportunities come from. I mean, like I could have never expected that a publisher would approach me and ask me to write a book and they did. (laughs) And, you know, the investment opportunities I've had, I, I would have never guessed that they were coming, but they came because... I was curious and open and I had no goal in mind. I was just sort of exploring. Um, I even made investment, an investment in, um, in another company, like as an angel investor. And all of these things just came because I was just doing my thing and not too worried about it. So, yeah, I agree. If you're doing what you like and you're not strapped for cash, then that you've made it. Yeah. And I have a free, complete autonomy right now. Um, yeah. So I'm very hesitant about how I go into the future because I don't want I don't want to sacrifice what I have to make more money. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I think, I don't know. This isn't about me. It's about you. Uh, no, I so- think Bo said something in the book too. Like if you don't know how much money you need or want, then it'll never be enough. Yeah. Just like, you know, <laughs> absolutely. Sort of laying out what's necessary and like, what would you do if you had more money? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, there's a couple other things I want to talk to you about, but uh, I want is there anything else that we've learned about as far anything we have not discussed yet relative to, when you know it's time to close or lessons you learned that could help our listeners. And if not, then we'll take another break and we'll come back to discuss a few other things. No, I think we covered it. I just think that, you know, if, if there are people out there thinking about closing their restaurants that um, you really need to listen to that voice. And, you know, even if you don't wind up closing there, there may be some things you can do to make it more enjoyable for you, but you have to do those things. Um, the yeah. longer you sit in this in between area, it's just going to get worse and worse. And the only it doesn't thing- get better. 
Yeah, the only thing I want to add on to that to compound off what you just shared is ego, I think, is more prevalent in this industry than in other industries. And the reason why we don't quit or we don't stop when we should and we just get into a bigger hole is because of ego, because we are we don't want to be a failure. And it's funny because it, like all other industries I mean, I started learning when I, when I, before I ever started the podcast, I was listening to all these interviews of successful restaurateurs, not restaurateurs, of all these successful entrepreneurs just sharing knowledge about how they became successful as entrepreneurs. Uh, and, and in those interviews, failure was such a big part of their success and they embraced failure and they're like, fail fast, you know, like go try things, fail fast, start small, fall on your face as, as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and in this industry, it's almost the opposite. We're almost not privy to that because the the initial operating, the, the, the initial cost just to get open, you're taking out hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's hard to start small. But I don't also think, at the same time, I don't think that's true because I think we just have told ourselves that we have to have this big 150-seat brick-and-mortar restaurant to, to be successful. But we can start where we can, which is yeah. like the pop-up or anything like that and like let the cash flow and people and failures determine your growth. What's going through yeah. your mind as I say this? No, it's, it's just all really good advice. I think like, it's funny. We're kind of coming full circle, like how to close and how to open. But, um, yeah, when you're, I mean, that's how we got started. It was like farmer's markets, stands, uh, catering festivals, and then a 900 square foot restaurant and then a 1600 square foot restaurant and then working on expanding from there. I think that's how you do it. Um, but the point but is you, like, don't let your ego get in the way. Know that it's okay to fail. Uh, don't let that don't let that failure identify or just uh, define you right yeah and know that it's much much easier to quit when you're smaller it's yeah it is yeah i kind of wish i'd listened to my my voice inside a little earlier but like you said the restaurant industry is is it's tough in the sense that um you know you hear a lot of these messages like well you just got to grind and like don't quit and like keep working at it um and And it sort of like clouds your own it clouds your own judgment, <laughs> yeah. but you got to remember like, this is your life. And again, yeah. you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. And like, is this how you really want to be spending all of your days? Just like hating your hating what you're doing. Awesome. Okay. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back because you've recently made some life decisions that have interest me and I want to unpackage this. <laughs> so we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Look, nowadays people rather send you a text message than speak to you directly face-to-face. That's just the way people choose to communicate and there's not much we can do about it or is there? Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is also convenient to you. Don't worry about personal information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the number that Talk to the Manager provides. You can even delegate customer feedback and divide the workload amongst your managers. Multiple managers can receive these texts. When one manager replies to a customer, the other staff will see their responses too. What I personally love most about Talk to the Manager is that you can fix issues immediately in private before complaints go public online. Many times when people do write a negative review, it's because they just want to be heard. And Talk to the Manager gives them that outlet to be heard before they bring it publicly and drag your name through the mud. Plus, with Talk to the Manager, get issues brought to your attention, whether it's an issue with your restaurant's service, product, or facility. Your guests will let you know whether you want to hear it or not, but this will help you improve. Using Talk to the Manager is so intuitive that no technology is required. If you can send a text message, you can use Talk to the Manager. 
manager. Show guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. That's www.talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. We're back. So uh, when you reached out to me initially to say, hey, Eric, hobby band, uh, I'd love to come back on the show to talk about uh, closing my restaurant. And I won't lie. When I noticed you closed, I was like, what the hell? I just had her on the show. Uh, I'm supposed (laughs) to be promoting successful people who love what they're doing. And she closes. I was like, Jesus, Scrims, you're killing me. Uh, But I'm happy that you're happy now. Uh, So the other so you reached out to me, uh, your, your publicist reached out to me like a couple of days after. Uh, letting me know that you have this cookbook coming out and that uh, she listed all the things that we could talk about if you were to come back on the show. And one of the things she mentioned was that you're, you're promoting this book uh, in that you're choosing to not use you're, you're off social media and, and you're in, and you're choosing not to use social media to promote your book. And in today's age, most people would tell you you're crazy. You need social media. There's no way to be successful without social media. And I would tend to lean in their in the direction with they're right, you know, but at the same time, I'm also probably the only person that's, that I know who's willing to say they're right. And that's a problem that they're right, that you need to be on social media all the time, constantly promoting yourself to be successful in life. And I think we really need to wake up and go, what are we doing? Like, what is going on? Like, why, why is it, why is it that they are right? You know, like, right. and what's fucking snap out of this and like be a little aware and conscious of what world we're creating. Like, I don't want to be a part of that world. I don't know about you. I don't want yeah, to do no. with it. I mean, um, yeah, you kind of summed it up nicely there. I think, um, my decision to get off social media, um, well, it stems from the fact that I just, Man, the real world is so much better. And what I do you think mean by that, what is the real world? The real, you know, like trees and, and dirt and stuff and like real people face to face or Zoom for now. You know, I'll, I'll take Zoom for now, yeah. but I uh, much prefer a face to face. But yeah, I just I, I find that when I looked back, um, when I was thinking about deleting my social media, I, I had a real honest chat with myself where I was like, OK, just think about all the things in your life and like 
how they came about and like what has social media really done for you? And I had nothing. I mean, nothing. Every great connection I've ever made um, has come from something I've done outside of social media. And sure, there may be like some fringe cases, like perhaps someone, you know, like perhaps we initially connect. I don't think this is how it happened, but perhaps if we had connected via social media, um, okay, that's one example. But even still, it's because I had a restaurant that had a social media page. Um, I, I like to think that all these things would have still come about even without social media. And I think we're told this lie that everything is happening on there. And if you get off of it, then you're like left out of the game, especially for creators. Like my sister is an artist. I have a lot of artist friends. And, and I think almost like the unanimous opinion about all of this is like, God, I wish I didn't have to do social media because what they really love doing is the work they're doing. It's the art, it's the music, it's, it's whatever they're working on. And then they have to turn around and create some sort of way to promote it on this platform that they're annoyed by. Um, so, I think, I don't think you actually need it. I think that things happen all the time outside of social media. And sure, maybe they get shared on social media, but they aren't generated there. It's like a, it's like a, a go, a phantom event, really what's happening on social media. So um, I think I'll be fine without it. But, but then my, you know, my backup comfort was that if I'm wrong and you do need social media to be a successful author, then I guess I don't want to be an author. Like, that's not the job that I want and I'll find something else to do. <laughs> well, well, a lot of my pushback with social media and it's weird cause it's, 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 it's tough because I'm, I'm put in this position where it's my job to go out there and talk to people and to find out what it takes to be successful. And if I'm looking at the data, if I'm looking at what people have told me they do, that's in, you know, super important. It's absolutely our social media presence. Absolutely. It creates impressions and we say top of mind and we collect contact information and we can build our list through these methods and tactics. And it 100%, I can't argue that it doesn't, it does not help. Like it absolutely helps your business. I can't argue that it doesn't. I actually, I'm on the fence about that. I think, um, so when we first started the restaurant, um, we had a social media presence, but it was like, "Eh, we're here, you know, and it built up over time until eventually we had um, you know, a significant following. I, don't, I think it was like 18,000 when I deleted the page or something, which is, you know, anyone who's working to build a following knows that that's not, you don't, you don't just land in that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how much that actually contributed to the success of the restaurant because I think it was a lot of locals um, and a lot of our social media presence were not local. And even up until the day before I deleted my social media, I was still getting messages being like, are you open today? And I was like, well, <laughs> No, because we closed almost two years ago, you know? So I think a lot of the people consuming what we're putting out on social media were not actual customers. Um, And our most loyal customers were just the ones who were there actually in person. And sure, they told people about it. Maybe it was on social media, maybe it was otherwise, but I can't like directly link things that happened to us back to social media. So I'm happy you said that because I wasn't as, compound and say like, yes, all those things that if you're willing to do all those things, it it won't hurt your business. It will absolutely drive. I don't think it will hurt. It will drive traffic to your business for sure. Absolutely. And where it gets kind of, it's like it will drive new guests to your customer, to your, to your business. But we all know that the magic is in 
keeping customers, right? Right. And eighty percent of your revenue is going to come from twenty percent of your guests, and those are the people who you touch and see every day. That's four walls marketing. And yep. I think that four walls marketing takes precedence over social media and social media should be an afterthought Four walls marketing. Okay. And here's the thing I know, and I don't open a restaurant, but I, I have an opener. I don't run a restaurant, but I know that if I was a restaurant owner and, and my life was looking at my phone <laughs> and being down in it, telling the world how fucking great I am and having <laughs> to, to do that instead of being fucking great, and, and, and looking at people and talking to people who are with me, I think there's a lot of that missing in the world. And right now, I think there's a, there's a bigger epidemic happening or pandemic happening than COVID. And it's people being living in their little fucking digital bubble and not <laughs> interacting with people, you know, and, yeah. and that we need this. We don't understand how badly we need this. And I'm a student of, of human behavior, of anthropology, of studying where we came from to figure out where the fuck we're going. And this isn't the way technology is exponential. Humans are linear. Humans evolve linearly. And I, I think this world that we live in, there's no way that one person can absorb it all and be happy. And it's a real issue. And I feel like there needs to be some pushback. Like, listen, like we are designed to bump up against people, to hug people, to, to, to read body language, to, to absorb. A, like there's so many things that are happening in real life that we aren't even aware of. There's communication that happens in, in real time, in, in real life, low road communication, body language that we're just not even aware of. Endorphins, chemicals are, are literally floating from my body and you're, you're smelling that shit. And there's things that are happening <laughs> on a deeper level that we're not even aware of and we're depriving ourselves of it right now. Yeah. And I'm going on a rant, but it's hard for me to say, hey, go out there and spend your whole day talking about how great you are in creating content and living on social media when you're missing out on real life. And I, and I find yeah. oh, this, is a, this, is a, this is a struggle for me. What do I, think I do? A lot of people would argue, which I, I've heard this argument many times that, um, well, I can still be on social media and have this real life life. And I don't disagree, but I think like t- every day I go to sleep wishing I had more time in the day. And Sure, I could do both, but every minute I spend on social media, even if it's just preparing a post and not looking at anything else, is time that I would have much rather spend doing something else. Yeah, I mean, we we are all given twenty four hours in a day, and I one of the reasons why I deleted and I should I should announce I've deleted Facebook and Instagram from my phone. I still have my accounts, but I don't look at that's them. how it starts. I don't look at them. I and <laughs> even when I have these things on my phone, I really hardly did. Or when I was looking at out that's a little bit of a lie. I would look at Instagram. I'll do things on Instagram, but I would never, I didn't like to, I don't like to engage like that. I don't like to speak. I don't even text my mother. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm the kind of person <laughs> to pick up a phone call, a phone and call. Um, yeah. I mean, as you know, I use audio text messages now. That's yeah, my new favorite thing. Yeah. So <laughs> I, it's, it's, I don't to, to think that everybody is hardwired to exist well on social media is I think another thing that's just, that's like saying 20 years ago, Hey, the secret to being successful in life, in business, is being a really good scrapbooker. You got to be really good at creating a scrapbook and um, go out there and get them. But here's the thing: not everybody's going to be good at that. Not not everybody's going to be hardwired for that. So you have this thing that everybody has to do, but only a small percentage of people actually are good at it. And then you, that hinges on your success. What's where's yeah. what's the issue with that? Yeah, yeah, I think it's very distracting. That's 
I agree. So just you know, you're you're working on something, and then social media is is a is a fly being like you should post or like how are people going to know what you're doing? Yeah. I think they'll figure it out. You I know, mean, there I, are some. Are, yeah, go ahead. You go. You go. I think there are some side of, or benefits of social media. Like um, it does give you a window into the world uh, that you wouldn't normally be able to see certain things. You wouldn't be able to get inspiration. Like the the culinary world has exploded in the past. Uh, what we'd call it 14 years ever since 2007 when we could have, when we had the smartphone and we could, we could peer into the, the kitchens around the world to see what other chefs are doing. It definitely had a positive impact culinarily uh, on our industry because of people sharing creativity and inspiring each other. But there's a, that's a double edged sword because at the same time we're comparing ourselves to everybody else. And here's the thing, the part that we all know that the, the, per, the, the people, it's like dating, like a dating app. You go on the dating apps, you find these people, you're like, this person looks great. And then you meet them and you're like, you're nothing like your profile, you know? And that's social media, you know? Like yeah. we're all projecting this image of ourselves, of what we want people to think, but it's not real. But that's the, the image we compare ourselves to. There's an issue with this shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very complicated. I do think, like you said, there are some benefits. I think that most of the time they're severely outweighed by the by the cons. Um, but you know, I can think of like subgroups where it's like um, marginalized communities or like um, kind of fringe. You know, there was a time where like the LGBTQ plus community probably found a lot of comfort, and and still now in certain parts of the country, going online and connecting with like minded people, or like you know, if. Uh, if social media had been more prominent back when I first went vegan in Louisiana, I probably would have used that as a tool to be like, Oh, other vegans out there. Cool. Um, so I can see scenarios like that where, um, it's useful, but you know, at the same time, um, relying on these digital connections can sort of, um, it takes away the motivation to try a little harder in real life to, to make real life connections. And I mean, Dunbar's number, if you guys aren't familiar with it, it's basically that we can only manage about 150 real meaningful relationships in our life. Uh, and people, I mean, when you're engaging with thousands of people, maybe, yeah, you're connecting with people, uh, in Washington and I'm in New Hampshire and that's possible. Uh, but at the same time, like we're so connected and disconnected at the same time. Uh, and the, the quality of the connections isn't what it used to be. And I think that it's really important to like point out like quality over quantity, you know? Um, so I feel like I'm ranting at this point. (laughs) You feel strongly about it. That's I do feel strongly about it because I'm put in this position where I feel responsible to steer people in the right direction and where I feel like social media is definitely going to have a positive impact on your business at what cost? I think is the question. Right. And, um, I just think that, I don't know. It's just, we're not, we're not, we're not digital creatures. We're human beings. We're physical creatures. And I think we, it's important to not lose sight of that. And I think balance is important. I think we lost balance. I think we need to kind of move back in the other direction and, and be with people again. You know, yeah, I like that. I would agree with that. Do you have anything to share uh, beyond that? Am I uh, making you feel uncomfortable beyond right social now? media? Yeah. What's that? <laughs> so, am I, am I making you feel uncomfortable right now? Am I ranting? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, no, I think um, this conversation generally has kind of felt like uh, um, you know a lot of things we talked about are things that 
perhaps a lot of people think about and don't do it for one, re- one reason or another, like, oh, I couldn't possibly close my restaurant or I couldn't possibly delete my social media. But um, I think if, if people are feeling that tiny voice in your head, like, what if, it, you, you can totally just try it. I mean, you know, there's a good chance I'm wrong and social media might, you know, not having a social media might have just broken my author career. But again, if that's true, I don't want to be an author or, you know, maybe I'll change my mind and get back on. Maybe I'll really miss it. But um, it's, everything is just not that serious, basically. Yeah. It always feels really serious until you do it and you move on with your life and you realize it was really no big deal. Yeah. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to let the folks know how can we connect with you? Uh, if we want your book, where do we go? Is there a, uh, an email list we can get on to, to say, is oh. it already published? Is it available? Where do we find yeah, it? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so my website is crimdom.com, like kingdom, but crim, crimdom. Um, and I do have a newsletter there. Uh, this year I sent out six emails, so it's kind of like, you know, whenever it hits, it hits. And yeah, my book is available most normal places like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target, um, I really like hearing about when people requested their local independent bookstore. It's just, you know, it's very along with our theme today. I, I love that. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. No, no uh, Instagram, no Facebook, as you know. Yep. Well, Crimsy, thank you so much for reaching out to me uh, to reconnect, to share what's happened since we last connected. I can't believe it was almost two years ago. That blows my mind. Yeah, it was uh, nuts. Yeah, it is nuts. Uh, there is no questioning. You are still unstoppable. And I uh, look forward to your future success and following you and seeing what you're up to. Thank you. Cheers. We're back. Uh, Crimsy realized something. Crimsy, say what you <laughs> meant to say. I realized that I don't think I said uh, the name of my book one time, which is The Cajun Vegan Cookbook. So thank you, Eric, for giving me a chance <laughs> to redeem myself. You might be a little stoppable, but I'm just kidding. I'm stoppable when it comes to promotion. (laughs) Obviously, that is not my uh, talent. I'm just playing. There is no question. You are unstoppable. (laughs) We'll cut it there. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Crimsy Lilith. And uh, today's pitch for the network that Crimsy gave us, it was organic. I did not put her up to that. Uh, she's in the network because I offer all my past guests lifetime access to the network because a community is only as good as the people in it. And really what I'm trying to do, the mission of this network is to connect my listeners with my guests, to connect this generation of leaders with the next generation of leaders and to offer a safe space where people can have hard conversations and not be worried about cancel culture or virtue signal virtue signaling or virtue shaming for that matter and i just i just don't want a hollow space and that's another reason why i got a little unhinged today i feel like we make ourselves too accessible and we're spread out thin we're all over the place on these social platforms and i just don't trust these platforms anymore i think that they have ulterior motives and the people on them have ulterior motives and i just i did it just irks me every time and it puts me in a bad mood every time I go on one of these platforms so if you feel the same way and you want a community of people who all have the same intention all have the same values are trying to become better versions of themselves uh, have can support this idea of closing the knowledge gap and transforming values and just moving our industry in the right direction come hang out in restaurant unstoppable network uh, that's what we're doing and uh, we actually have some really great stuff lined up in the new year uh, Stephanie Robson a past guest she did a workshop uh, on 
business planning, a three-part workshop. She's coming back to do a three-part workshop on kitchen design and layout. And she's going to give us everything that you would never consider the things you don't know until you know when it comes to kitchen design, how to plan, things you would never think of in a three-part workshop. First session is today at 10 a.m. We're skipping a week and then the, the next two Thursdays after that 10 a.m. So come join the network and be a part of those conversations. We have Peter Lazar, the author of Restaurant Strong, next week coming on to reflect on his episode and to talk about his book, Restaurant Strong. And we have a workshop next week. Uh, sorry, not next week, the 20th of January uh, on negotiating your lease with David Helbram, who is uh, an attorney and one of the most well-known attorneys in New York City. So we have some great stuff coming. I want you guys to be a part of this. When else are you going to have access to people like this? So uh, with that said, uh, thanks for sticking around this long. Happy New Year. I'm excited for 2020. Uh, I can't wait to see what the future looks like. And I hope you guys feel the same way. All right. Until next time, peace out.